We are living through the Game of Thrones. Here is a recap of what you may have forgotten in all the excitement. Part 1 of 3. This repost is from Second Smartest Guy in the World. The original article I put a link to, and I really appreciate this poster's fantastic work, and you can subscribe if you like the content. The title of this thing is Peer-Reviewed Article on the Truth About PSYOP-19. Not much to add to the below-devastating peer-reviewed article on PSYOP-19, except that Theranos comes to mind. That magically revolutionary device that fraudster Elizabeth Holmes, quote, invented, is the perfect analog to the, quote, world-saving death facts, except that Holmes did not have the FDA, the NIH, the WHO, the UN, Big Pharma, along with the USSA federal government all covering for her. Her time ran out before the usual criminal institutions and corporations could save her as they are currently saving the likes of Pfizer and others. The entire PSYOP-19 scheme and the associated death facts are frauds that in many ways are akin to Theranos, but with a staggeringly high body count. Big Pharma must too be brought to some kind of justice, along with all the players from Fauci to Gates to Tedros, the UN, the World Health Organization, the U.S. government, the WEF, CIA, researchers, and scientists. The list goes on and on and on of the biofascist criminals who perpetrated these unprecedented crimes against humanity. So this article is entitled, COVID Update, What is the Truth? And this is a repost of, his, of Russell L. Blaylock's article. And we have a link to that. The COVID-19 pandemic is one of the most manipulated infectious disease events in history, characterized by official lies in an unending stream led by government bureaucracies, medical associations, medical boards, the media, and international agencies. We have witnessed a long list of unprecedented intrusions into medical practice, including attacks on medical experts, destruction of medical careers among doctors refusing to, to participate in killing their patients, and a massive regimentation of healthcare led by non-qualified individuals with enormous wealth, power, and influence. For the first time in American history, a president, governors, mayors, hospital administrators, and federal bureaucrats are determining medical treatments based not on accurate scientifically based or even experience-based information, but rather to force the acceptance of special forms of care and, quote, prevention, including remdesivir, the use of respirators, and ultimately a series of essentially untested messenger RNA vaccines. For the first time in history, medical treatment protocols are not being formulated based on the experience of the physicians treating the largest number of patients successfully, but rather individuals and bureaucracies that have never treated a single patient, including Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, EcoHealth Alliance, the CDC, the WHO, state public health officers, and hospital administrators. The media which is the TV, newspapers, magazines, etc., medical societies, state medical boards, and the owners of social media have appointed themselves to be the sole source of information concerning this so-called, quote, pandemic. Websites have been removed, highly credentialed and experienced clinical doctors and scientific experts in the field of infectious diseases have been demonized, careers have been destroyed, and all dissenting information has been labeled, quote, misinformation and, quote, dangerous lies even when sourced from top experts in the field of virology, infectious diseases, pulmonary critical care, and epidemiology. 
These blackouts of truth occur even when this information is backed by extensive scientific citations from some of the most qualified medical specialists in the world. Incredibly, even individuals such as Dr. Michael Yaden, a retired ex-chief scientist and vice president for the science division of Pfizer Pharmaceutical Company in the UK, who charged the company with making an extremely dangerous vaccine, is ignored and demonized. Further, he, along with other highly qualified scientists, have stated that no one should take this vaccine. Dr. Peter McCullough, one of the most cited experts in his field, who had successfully treated over 2,000 COVID patients by using a protocol of early treatment, which the so-called experts completely ignored, has been the victim of a particularly vicious assault by these, those benefiting financially from the vaccines. He's published his results in peer-reviewed journals, reporting an 80% reduction in hospitalizations and a 75% reduction in deaths by using early treatment. Despite this, he is under an unrelenting series of attacks by the information controllers, none of which have treated a single patient. Neither Anthony Fauci, the CDC, World Health Organization, nor any medical government establishment has ever offered any early treatment other than Tylenol, hydration, and call an ambulance once you have difficulty breathing. This is unprecedented in the entire history of medical care as early treatment of infections is critical to saving lives and preventing severe complications. Not only have these medical organizations and federal lap dogs not even suggested early treatment, but they also attacked anyone who attempted to initiate such treatment with all the weapons at their disposal. Loss of license, removal of hospital privileges, shaming, destruction of reputations, and even arrest. A good example of this outrage against freedom of speech and providing informed consent information is the recent suspension by the medical board in Maine of Dr. Merrill Nass's medical license and the ordering of her to undergo a psychiatric evaluation for prescribing ivermectin and sharing her experience in this field. I know Dr. Nass personally and can vouch for her integrity, brilliance, and dedication to truth. Her scientific credentials are impeccable. This behavior by a medical licensing board is reminiscent of the methodology of the Soviet KGB during the period when dissidents were incarcerated in psychiatric gulags to silence their dissent. The next section is entitled, Other Unprecedented Attacks. Another unprecedented attack tactic is to remove dissenting doctors from their positions as journal editors and reviewers and retracting of their scientific papers from journals, even after these papers have been in print. Until this pandemic event, I have never seen so many journal papers being retracted, the vast majority promoting alternatives to official dogma, especially if the papers question vaccine safety. Normally, a submitted paper or study is reviewed by expert, experts in the field called peer review. These reviews can be quite intense and nitpicking in detail, insisting that all errors within the paper be corrected before publication. So, unless fraud or some other major hidden problem is discovered after the paper is in print, the paper remains in the scientific literature. We are now witnessing a growing number of excellent scientific papers written by top experts in the field being retracted from major medical and scientific journals weeks, months, and even years after publication. A careful review indicates that in far too many instances that the authors dared question accepted dogma by the controllers of scientific publications, especially concerning the safety, alternative treatments, or efficacy of vaccines. 
These journals rely on extensive advertising by pharmaceutical companies for their revenue. Several instances have occurred where powerful pharmaceutical companies exerted their influence on owners of these journals to remove articles that in any way question their company's products. Worse still is the actual designing of medical articles for promoting drugs and pharmaceutical products that involve fake studies, the so-called ghost-written articles. Richard Horton is quoted by The Guardian as saying, quote, journals have devolved into information laundering operations for this pharmaceutical industry. Proven fraudulent, quote, ghost-written articles sponsored by pharmaceutical giants have appeared regularly in top clinical journals, such as JAMA, the New England Journal of Medicine, never to be removed despite proven scientific abuse and manipulation of data. Ghost-written articles involve using plan planning companies whose job it is to design articles containing manipulated data to support a pharmaceutical product and then have these articles accepted by high-impact clinical journals. That is, the journals most likely to affect the clinical decision-making of doctors. Further, they supply doctors and clinical practice with free reprints of these manipulated articles. The Guardian found 250 companies engaged in this ghostwriting business. The final step in designing these articles for publication in the most prestigious journals is to recruit well-recognized medical experts from prestigious institutions and to add their names to these articles. These recruited medical authors are either paid upon agreeing to add their name to these pre-written articles or they do so for the prestige of having their name on an article in a prestigious medical journal. Of vital importance is the observation by experts in the field of medical publishing that nothing has been done to stop this abuse. Medical ethicists have lamented that because of this widespread practice, quote, you can't trust anything. While some journals insist on the disclosure of information, most doctors reading these articles ignore this information or excuse it, and several journals make disclosures more difficult by requiring the reader to find the disclosure statements at another location. Many journals do not police such statements and omissions by authors are common and without punishment. As concerns the information made available to the public, virtually all the media is under the control of these pharmaceutical giants or others who are benefiting from this, quote, pandemic. Their stories are all the same, both in content and even wording. Orchestrated cover-ups occur daily and massive data exposing the lies being generated by these information controllers are hidden from the public. All data coming over the national media, that's TV, newspaper, and magazines, as well as the local news you watch every day, comes from, quote, official sources, most of which are lies, distortions, or completely manufactured out of whole cloth, all aimed to deceive the public. Television media receives the majority of its advertising budget from the international pharmaceutical companies. This creates an irresistible influence to report all concocted studies supporting their vaccines, and other so-called treatments. In 2020 alone, the pharmaceutical industry spent $6.56 billion on such advertising. Pharma TV advertising amounted to $4.58 billion, an incredible 75% of their budget. That buys a lot of influence and control over the media. World-famous experts within all fields of infectious disease are excluded from media exposure and from social media should they in any way deviate against the concocted lies and distortions by the makers of these vaccines. 
In addition, these pharmaceutical companies spend tens of millions on social media advertising, with Pfizer leading the pack with $55 million in 2020. While these attacks on free speech are terrifying enough, even worse is the virtually universal control hospital administrators have exercised over the details of medical care in hospitals. These hirelings are now instructing doctors which treatment protocols they will adhere to and which treatments they will not use, no matter how harmful the quote approved treatments are or how beneficial the quote unapproved treatments are. Never in the history of American medicine have hospital administrators dictated to its physicians how they will practice medicine and what medications they can use. The CDC has no authority to dictate to hospitals or doctors concerning medical treatments. Yet, most physicians complied without the slightest resistance. The Federal CARE Act encouraged this human disaster by offering all U.S. hospitals up to $39,000 for each ICU patient they put on respirators, despite the fact that early on it was obvious that the respirators were a major cause of death among these unsuspecting, trusting patients. In addition, the hospitals received $12,000 for each patient that was admitted to the ICU, explaining, in my opinion and others, why all federal medical bureaucracies, the CDC, the FDA, the NIAID, the NIH, etc., did all in their power to prevent life-saving early treatments. Letting patients deteriorate to the point that they needed hospitalization meant big money for all hospitals. A growing number of hospitals are in danger of bankruptcy, and many have closed their doors even before this, quote, pandemic. Most of these hospitals are now owned by national or international corporations, including teaching hospitals. It is also interesting to note that with the arrival of this pandemic, we have witnessed a surge in hospital corporate chains buying up a number of these financially at-risk hospitals. It has been noted that billions in federal COVID aid is being used by these hospital giants to acquire these financially endangered hospitals, further increasing the power of corporate medicine over physician independence. Physicians expelled from their hospitals are finding it difficult to find other hospital staffs to join since they too may be owned by the same corporate giant. As a result, vaccine mandate policies include far larger numbers of hospital employees. For example, Mayo Clinic fired 700 employees for exercising their right to refuse a dangerous, essentially essentially untested experimental vaccine. Mayo Clinic did this despite the fact that many of these employees work during the worst of the epidemic and are being fired when the Omicron variant is the dominant strain of the virus, has the pathogenicity of a common cold for the most part, and the vaccines are ineffective in preventing the infection. In addition, it has been proven that the vaccinated asymptomatic person has a nasopharyngeal titer of the virus as high as an infected unvaccinated person. If the purpose of the vaccine mandate is to prevent viral spread among the hospital staff and patients, then it is the vaccinated who present the greatest risk of transmission, not the unvaccinated. The difference is that a sick unvaccinated person will not go to work. The asymptomatic vaccinated spreader still will. What we do know is that major medical centers such as the Mayo Clinic receive tens of millions of dollars in NIH grants each year, as well as monies from the pharmaceutical makers of these experimental, quote, vaccines. In my view, that is the real consideration driving these policies. 
If this could be proven in a court of law, the administrators making these mandates should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law and sued by all injured parties. The hospital bankruptcy problem has grown increasingly acute due to hospital vaccine mandates, which resulted in a large number of hospital staff, especially nurses, refusing to be forcibly vaccinated. This is all unprecedented in the history of medical care. Doctors within hospitals are responsible for the treatment of their individual patients and work directly with these patients and their families to initiate these treatments. Outside organizations such as the CDC have no authority to intervene in these treatments and to do so exposes the patients to grave errors by an organization that has never treated a single COVID-19 patient. When this pandemic started, hospitals were ordered by the CDC to follow a treatment protocol that resulted in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of patients, most of whom would have recovered had proper treatment been allowed. The majority of these deaths could have been prevented had doctors been allowed to use early treatment with such products as ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and a number of other safe drugs and natural compounds. It has been estimated, based on results by physicians treating the most COVID patients successfully, that of the 800,000 people that we were told died from COVID, 640,000 could have not only been saved, but could have, in many cases, returned to their pre-infection health status had mandated early treatment with these proven methods been used. This neglect of early treatment constitutes mass murder. That means 160,000 would have actually died far less than the number dying at the hands of bureaucrats, medical associations, and medical boards that refuse to stand up for their patients. According to the studies of early treatment of thousands of patients by brave, caring doctors, 75 to 80 percent of the deaths could have been prevented. Incredibly, these knowledgeable doctors were prevented from saving these COVID-19 infected people. It should be an embarrassment to the medical profession that so many doctors mindlessly follow the deadly protocols established by the controllers of medicine. One must also keep in mind that this event never satisfied the criteria for a pandemic. The World Health Organization changed the criteria to make this a pandemic. To qualify for a pandemic status, the virus must have a high mortality rate for the vast majority of people, which it didn't. It had a 99.98% survival rate, and it must have no known existing treatments, which this virus had. In fact, a growing number of very successful treatments. The draconian measures established to contain this contrived, quote, pandemic have never been shown to be successful such as masking the public, lockdown, social distancing. A number of carefully done studies during previous flu seasons demonstrated that masks of any kind had never prevented the spread of the virus among the public. In fact, some very good studies suggested that masks actually spread the virus by giving people a false sense of security and other factors, such as the observation that people were constantly breaking sterile technique by touching their masks, improper removal, and by leakage of infectious aerosols around the edges of the mask. In addition, masks were being disposed of in parking lots, walking trails, laid on tabletops in restaurants, and placed in pockets and purses. Within a few minutes of putting on a mask, a number of pathogenic bacteria can be cultured from the mask, putting the immune-suppressed patient at a high risk of bacterial pneumonia and children at a higher risk of meningitis. A study by researchers at the University of Florida cultured over 11 pathogenic bacteria from the inside of the mask worn by children in schools. 
It was also known that children were essentially no risk of either getting sick from the virus or transmitting it. In addition, it was also known that wearing a mask for over four hours, as occurs in all schools, results in significant hypoxia, which is low blood oxygen levels, and hypercapnia, which is high CO2 levels. These have a number of deleterious effects on health, including impairing the development of a child's brain. We've known that brain development continues long after the grade school years. A recent study found that children born during the, quote, pandemic have significantly lower IQs, yet school boards, school principals, and other educational bureaucrats are obviously unconcerned. To be continued.